0: Gateway, so good to be here with you in the fourth week of this little series as it is where we are reminding ourselves of who we want to be and really who we can be in Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And last week, we took some time to look at one simple aim in the area of formation and specifically to envision a life of formation by the Spirit. And specifically, that formation, if you can recall, uh, was out of the image of the world, which we spent the bulk of our time in, and into the image of Jesus. And what came to the fore was just clarity on who we are, who we were and where we once lived. That is, we all bear God's image, like all of us, male and female, we are all called to exercise that divine calling, which is simply a way of saying that we're to be who we are, to to bear out that image of in partnership with God, which is both to work with our bodies and our minds and to worship. And those things are woven together. And yet that work and that worship have been marred by a thing that the scriptures call sin. This inward turn of rebellion and reframing the story, calling bad good and good bad. Which means that this invitation to partner with God has been turned upside down and and like all of humanity we sit in that today we too have gone rogue and given ourselves over to desire's domain but god what we what we came to see is that god he was not content with that story remaining the same so he uh, set forth to restore this marred image he entered into the human story he put on flesh in jesus of nazareth i have a friend who says a god in a bod this is what what god did in and through jesus like when we say that jesus is god the emphasis is on jesus jesus shows us the full revelation of who god is and he came to reckon with those deforming forces of the world to put them to death so that his life could be manifest through our own. And so that's that's a lot to take in in just a couple of minutes. But through all of that, you know what what I I, I came just to sit with was this beautiful reality that we who were at one time rebels hiding in shame were sought out by God. That he sought us out to restore us so that we might be sons and daughters. And there was a question, a kind of a core question to our teaching last week that uh, bounced around in my mind this week. And it was the question, where has the lure of the world crept into your life? And as, you know, I was thinking about that, that question, I couldn't help but think about my own story. See, almost two thirds of my life was governed by those disordered desires. I paid no mind to anything else. And so there is like this cumulative weight of experience that then was up against this new life with Jesus. And as I was thinking about that, which felt kind of overwhelming, (laughs) another question emerged, a a question that I think will help us further envision our aim today, which is the same as last week's, to envision a life of formation by the Spirit. And that question is this, can we change? Or said another way, is formation possible? And you may feel a surprising reflex to that question, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Uh, The question, the response to that question that you might put forward is yes. And then you recall some teachings that you heard one time or even the verse that that we talked about this past week in, in Romans 12. It's Paul's encouragement to the church there in Rome to not conform to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of their minds, So you're thinking, is transformation possible? Yes, Paul just said it. I have chapter and verse right there. Isn't that what we do in the church? (laughs) Well, it's a bit more complicated than that. You see, we we could say, yes, we believe that. And yes, we profess that change is indeed possible. But still, the question lingers at, like, how? So what if we asked a more specific question? Is transformation possible for you? Is change possible for you? If you're like me, that reflex remains, and your answer is still yes, but maybe you're a little bit more honest this time, it's yes, but I don't really know how transformation takes place. So let's think about Paul's line again, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed from the inside out, or as he says it, by the renewing of your mind. See the imagery that Paul employs in Romans 12 it's a pretty intense imagery Paul is describing this world and its forming forces as a die or a press which is this robust instrument this this mechanism that functions through intense pressure to press a thing into a particular pattern in this case it's the world pressing people through intense pressure into its own pattern and in response to that paul says not that instead from the inside out be transformed And that sounds nice, doesn't it? We're like, yes, amen, I will take some of that transformation, Paul. And yet he doesn't really tell us how. Like, you don't turn over the page to Romans 13 and then you see like a list of this is how you change to be more like Jesus. So how do I realize, how do we as a community realize what is real about us? How do we step into what's true of us in Jesus? For this, uh, we turn to another writer of the New Testament, the Apostle Peter. And in Peter's second letter, uh, which is often thought to be one of the latest writings in the New Testament, and that's significant for this reason. People have been following Jesus for a little while. They've been able to consider the, the circumstances and the consequences of life with Jesus in a community, empowered by the Spirit. And so in light of all of that information, this letter comes forward to encourage and challenge a community. And in this letter, what we see is uh, kind of this, this formation pathway, if you will. It's this movement whereby we might be transformed out of the image of this world and into the image of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you will, uh, flip or tap your way on over to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to uh, be in verses 2 to 11. And this morning what we'll do is we're going to work through this passage and we're going to make some observations along the way on how we actually change into uh, the image of Jesus so we could say Christ-likeness. And this is by no means an exhaustive teaching. This isn't like a, an exhaustive expository teaching where we linger on each word and we parse it all out and we talk about culture and circumstances and significance. Like My, my hope is that this gives us a lay of the land This gives us a vision for what is possible with Jesus, and that it's kind of like the tip of the iceberg, and then in the weeks and the months and the years to come, we begin to take this into ourselves. We actually put on the transformation that's on offer in Jesus. And so, without further ado, starting in verse 2, this is what we read. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in his divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And for this reason, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure— They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort, there it is again, to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble." And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's pray and then we'll work through this line by line. Jesus, we ask, we come before you as as a community and ask that you would meet us through your word. I stand here asking that you, Spirit, would, would stand in my body, that you would think with my mind, that you would speak with my mouth, that you would give us a vision for what's actually possible in our life with you, that you would help us decide to do so, and then through this community, And the rhythms of Jesus, your word of truth, and the power of your Holy Spirit, would you like set forth in us new life to come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Have your way in us and through us for the good of our neighbors. Amen. So starting back in verse two, just kind of glance up there with me. Uh, We hear this grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So as we begin to think about the scope of this passage uh, of of being formed into Christ's likeness, which is is quite large, I understand that. Uh, Remember, tip of the iceberg. Just notice that for Peter, knowledge is where grace and peace are multiplied. And this is not just knowledge about stuff. It's not a constellation of facts around Jesus or like passing a, a theology exam. And no, this is a bit more in depth, interactive. And uh, Dallas Willard, who's shaped so much of my thinking around this passage and formation into Christ likeness for that matter, he, he gives us this uh, definition of knowledge as An interactive relationship with Jesus. I love that. It's this idea that is not static, but dynamic. And that's how Peter then can go on in verse 3 to say that His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge, through our interactive relationship with Jesus, who called us by His own glory and goodness. See this right here it's more about how jesus called us that is and jesus's person invites us to his person and i know that's like brutal grammar and kind of hard to understand this is what i mean i remember when i was first like shown the person of jesus this this came through an intellectual space it was through a teaching And then I saw the person of Jesus in people. And then I would hear about Jesus in teaching again. And what stuck was really more like the picture of Jesus I saw in the scriptures because this this was the person who would stand with zeal for the truth and love his enemies. He would invite foreigners to come to him. He would announce faith over them. He would announce healing over them because of their faith. It was like he, he was drawing near toward those who had been cast aside in, in this season of my life, like, I felt like I was cast aside, and every time I encountered Jesus, I was like, I want to be with him. It was like he had this magnetic force, this magnetic presence that was drawing me in. This This is what's going on here. Because there's no more compelling person in human history, in my opinion. It is Jesus of Nazareth, and disciples or followers of Jesus, they emerge when people are struck by the excellence and glory of Jesus. And this is the effect, when people are struck by the excellence and glory of Jesus. Verse 4, "...through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature." So what we get with Jesus, perhaps what is so compelling with him is that when he invites us to himself, he invites us to participate in the divine itself. And this, to be clear, this is not that we are like lost in the divine in a Hindu sense or like a panentheist sense where like like God is around us and in us. Like No, it's God is a person, three persons in one, the triune, co-eternal, co- like that is God. And we get to participate in the life of God with God. Elsewhere, the writers of the New Testament will call this thing, participation in the divine nature, the birth from above. And again, Dallas Willard here, He describes this process as our life becoming increasingly woven together with God's life. That is, Jesus' life then starts to become slowly but surely over the course of time our life and lifestyle, and more on that in a moment. Because that's not all. As we discussed last week, this new life, this participation in the divine nature, it comes in light of us having, quote, escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We'd gone rogue and Jesus sought us out with grace and peace. See, in Peter's mind, the, the root of corruption, and that idea of corruption, it's like if you've driven a vehicle in the Midwest for any time and had the assault of those harsh chemicals on the road come to your car, uh, just, uh, my goodness, this spring, I opened up our passenger door and didn't think anything, but then I closed it and still didn't think anything. And then uh, Jess, she said, hey, did you see what's, on, like, what's under the car? it's rust. It's rust, literally corroding, cor- corrupting the vehicle. <laughs> this is what this idea, it's this idea of decay. So the root of corruption, it is found in evil desire. It is corroding our soul, this corrosive element in our world. And this word evil, some of your translations have, this, have the word sinful. It could also be described as obsessive desire. In other words, a life controlled by desire. More specifically, a life controlled by disordered desires. And for Peter, when new life comes, this interactive relationship with Jesus, an alternative to corruption comes as well. It's a life no longer governed by these obsessive and disordered desires, but instead it is ordered by grace and by peace. And because that's what's real, because that's what's true of us, that our life is being ordered by grace and peace, now it's time to realize that. And so we see this in verse 5, For this reason, make every effort. And just pause right there for a moment. How much effort does that leave out? It's kind of a trick question. Yeah, it doesn't, none. None. Again, Willard here, he has this line, you've heard it here before, you will hear it here again, that grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, but effort is an action, and God's not opposed to that. In other words, this, this adding to our faith, this is for you and for me to do. And what are we to add to our faith? We're to add goodness. And right here, Peter begins this progressive movement toward love. Elsewhere in the writings of the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, love, it's it's seen as this climax. You see this in Colossians 3 and in Romans 5. It's this climax of the Christian life, of following Jesus. And it's called like the bond of perfectness, or I love this, like the thing that holds all things together. And so, too, here in this progression, as we just read a moment ago, love is the final thing. It's the final movement, the final progression, because how we grow in the divine nature is about growing into people of love, like when we're formed out of the image of the world and into the image of Jesus, this is about being formed into people whose, like the natural byproduct of their life is that they love, that they give away their preferences for the good of others, even at a cost to themselves. And, And so like, if that's the case, we can just be quick to say, okay, let's get to it. Let us be about loving. There's even songs in pop culture that say all we need is love. If that's it, let's just, let's just, love is love. Like, let's just be about that. And that sounds really good. And it's also a bit naive. Peter, the true realist that he is, he invites us to attend to a few things in route to love. He doesn't discard love. He just sees that there needs to be some movement toward us, a, a progression toward love. And the first order is faith. Like, we cannot add goodness or virtue to anything if there's nothing to add it to. So we can't add goodness to anything if there is no faith. Look, faith. Faith must be there, and faith rises out of knowledge, that interactive relationship with Jesus. And again, faith is not simply like an affirmation of things about Jesus, that He lived in this time, He did these things, He healed these people, He, like, no, like you could check all those box, boxes and have no confidence in Jesus. Faith is confidence that Jesus is who He says He is. And that confidence then reorders and reorients our whole life. Like the life of the mind. So yes, affirmation is still there, but also the life of our body. See, faith ultimately says, because Jesus holds me in love and affirmation, I will follow him. I won't just think right things about him. I will follow him, which involves the whole of my life. I love how St. Augustine, who's the the North African church father, I love how he talks about our life with Jesus as this participatory, dynamic, interactive thing. He says, without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. See, from this place of confidence, this place of faith, that is where we add virtue when we do so with God, with the Holy Spirit. And just as we cannot add virtue... To faith without faith, we cannot add virtue if we don't have an understanding of what's virtuous. And so what is virtue? Again, Willard for the win, uh, quote, Virtue is a settled habit of bringing about a specific good that is enjoyed by the one who has it a settled habit of bringing about a specific good. In other words, virtues for the follower of Jesus are reliable habits that are done out of delight, not duty. So if I want to add something like patience to my faith, we still have to ask, how does that happen? Like, how do I do that? So how do we add virtue? Well, we add virtue, like patience, by training. And I want to linger here for a bit longer before we move on through the passage because this is significant. In fact, this is like what will be the thing, <laughs> training in likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And to be clear, training, it is not the same thing as trying. There's this popular, it's almost like a myth in Christianity, specifically in evangelicalism, that if I tried then that was sufficient. And and it kind of goes like this: this is this is not really taught explicitly from the pulpit. They're like, try really hard. No, this is more caught. So this is more about the culture of a space and a people. So it, it would go something like this: that if you've tried something and you've done so with good intentions, but it's not borne the fruit that you hoped it would bear, then you're just not that type of person. So take, for example, if if you are um, like an irritable person. You're, you're kind of just, I don't know, crotchety or maybe persnickety. There's, um, I don't know, that's like some word of the day toilet paper action there. You're, you're a little rough around the edges and you've tried to grow in gentleness. Like you've seen that when Jesus opens up his heart to us, he says, I am gentle and lowly. You're like, oh, I want to be that, that about that gentle and lowly life. And so you try, but you just can't get there. And so you just resolve in your mind that like, I guess I'm just kind of an angry person. Trying is not the same thing as training. Or or maybe you're you're like not an angry person at all, but you're just not patient. You would describe yourself in a similar process coming to the end and saying, I've tried to be patient. I just don't seem to possess that thing. The challenge is that Jesus says, we have the power, like the power of the living God, the divine power. (laughs) Everything we need for a godly life is available to us. So that creates some tension, you see? So let's just stay with patience here. Uh, so how do we, how does one become the type of person uh, for whom patience is the natural byproduct of their life when they encounter agitation or frustration or, I don't know, this whole past year? <laughs> like, How do we become people whose natural, like the natural byproduct of our life is patience in challenging circumstances? Well, um, is willpower enough? No. Willpower is not enough. Like, this isn't just grit your teeth, bear it, just try a little harder. And and James Bryan Smith, he has this uh, great quote in Good and Beautiful book series. And so, uh, listen to this. He says, the human will is the capacity, the capacity to choose. And then he has this illustration for it that's really helpful. It says, the will is neither strong nor weak. Like a horse or maybe you can think of a car, uh, it has only one task, to do what the rider or driver, the mind influenced by the body and the social realm, tells it to do. Therefore, change, or lack thereof, is not an issue of the will at all. Change happens when these other influences are modified, the mind, the body, the social realm. And the good news is that we have control over those other influences, when new ideas, new practices, new social settings are adopted, change happens. So we don't become a patient person just by willpower alone. There's something else, and, and Smith hinted at it here, but what if you take some willpower and some spiritual vigor? Like just um, if you've participated in any sort of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, then it's this idea if you think the right things, then you'll behave the right way. See see that? So so what if I just get the right thinking, some positive self-talk? Is that going to be enough? Well, um, in my experience, the answer is still no. And this actually comes right out of my lived experience. Anyone who has lived with a toddler would probably be able to uh, share the same story. But what we can all attest to if we've experienced a toddler is uh, that willpower, even willpower with some spiritual vigor, those are tiny forces when up against tiny humans. See my boy Finn. He possess, like possesses this persistence and just raw vigor that goes unmatched, and it will wear at you. Oh, trust me, it will wear at you. And when that willpower is gone, who you really are will come out. And in that moment, it's like, you don't need a mantra. You don't need some positive self-talk. You need the living God to be manifest in you and through you. Because when you're dealing with a flailing toddler, willpower and positive self-talk will not suffice. I can attest to this. And to help illustrate that, let's just move away from patience for a moment and maybe go to something a bit more familiar. Um, let's think about exercise. Often marathons come into play at this point as a helpful example to talk about training, but I think it's crazy that anybody would run for fun. So I'm going to do something a bit more familiar to my experience, and I know it's also kind of weird. Uh, so let's just say that you want to be to become the type of person for whom it is possible to move two times your body weight. I know, again, just as ridiculous as a marathon, but stay with me. So, if you were to leave, uh, like th- following this time, and you were to either I don't know, maybe you have like a like you've spent thousands of dollars on weight equipment and it's just sitting in your basement. But let's say that's not <laughs> your life. Uh, let's say you were to leave your house, and you were to uh, go to your local gym. Let's say you just go to the downtown Y. And you show up to the downtown Y and on the way you get all your weightlifting paraphernalia. So your workout clothes, I don't know, maybe you have like a weight belt. You get all the gear you need and you show up and you set up the barbell. You put the you put the weight on there. You, you get two times your body weight on that weight on that barbell and on the rack. And then you go to Spotify or Apple Music, whatever your jam is, and uh, you just turn on the best pump up music. And so there you're like, you're hyped, you're ready to go and you get under the bar and you are ready. And so then you push it like you, you, you do, you make all the noises because you don't want a hernia. And what happens? Maybe you get the bar off the rack. Maybe it just goes up and down. Maybe, maybe you were like an athlete. So you get the bar off the rack and then slowly it starts to come. And then yes, of course, then you're squished. And like you have like some sort of, I don't know, back injury or you pull them like it doesn't go well. That's your willpower. But but again, what happens if you sprinkle some spiritual vigor on there? Let's say uh, that like Josh or Christy or Dan, the, the folks who lead worship around the Gateway Church, let's say like all of them, they come with you to the gym. And like Dan is there, he's praying over you, Josh is playing the guitar, Christy's like prophesying over you and you've got your jam, You like you have your hype men and women there to pump you up. So you have the setup, you have everything going. You get the bar off of the rack. You start to go down a little. You reach the bottom, and then it will crush you. See, because trying, willpower plus spiritual vigor, it will not do what you want in the end. Try as you might. It won't happen. But if you left our time together today, And you went you got a trainer and you started working on your body mechanics your form you started moving your own body weight you started training supporting muscle groups and then week after week you you went and you regularly entered into those rhythms and you started adding little increments of weight slowly but surely you would become the type of person for whom moving twice your body weight is a possibility now would that be easy I don't, I don't think it's ever an easy task to, to move twice your body weight. That's no small thing. And yet it would be possible. So my, my whole point here is that faith alone will not produce in you or me who God intends for us to be. But Rather, confidence in Jesus is what leads us to, to place our trust. It, it leads us to the place where we want to take on Jesus' character through training. It compels us to do so because we trust that he is who he says he is and therefore we can follow him. So we intentionally place ourselves before him day after day to receive his love and then live as his beloved for the good of others. We train. So we start with faith. And from there we begin this process of, Rehabituating ourselves to the new life that is accessible to us in Jesus. We, we, like, have our mind shaped by truth. We enter into the rhythms of Jesus with the community of Jesus. But for now, more on that next week. For now, P- Peter goes on to say that w- when those virtues are being added, that that's actually not the end. See, we need to add knowledge. And this now is the third time that Peter's mentioned knowledge. And you might ask, well, why would Peter call for knowledge after virtue? And why was there knowledge before? (laughs) Well, remember, knowledge here is it's about this interactive relationship with Jesus. And virtue is about the formation of character. And, And just think about this. What happens when smart people or people in general, absent of character, get put into places of power? I'm sure you don't have to think long within our even our own nation's history of, of what happens in those type of moments. And what history bears witness to is that person after person, they are pressed into the pattern of the world, a system that is opposed to God's definition of flourishing because they lack the resilience of character to release those conforming forces and what we want really is, is is we want knowledge, but we don't want the responsibility that knowledge brings. So we want knowledge, but we don't want to act upon that knowledge. And yet what Peter is calling us to is that when our, as our character is being formed, it's not as though we complete our character and then we get, it's like all of these things are happening in in a fast progression in some cases, but as our character is being formed, we take on knowledge and we can handle the weight of the responsibility it brings. And for Peter, Knowledge builds character, and the progression continues. From that place, we were to add self-control. His virtue and knowledge they put us in a position to exercise self-control, and self-control is simply the place where the things that you decide to do are not derailed because of disordered desires. They're not des- des- like derailed by outside or inside forces. Things like lust or longings or or like Netflix, like self-control moves forward despite those things. And just a, like a quick note on self-control, so often impulse is the thing that derails us. It stands in the way of self-control. It's like you'll say things like, oh, it was an impulse buy. It was close to the register. You know, it's like I have said that thing many a time to Jessica. Oh, it was, I don't know. It's like a, I'm. I like the kombucha, so I'll like see it and I'll be like, oh, I didn't really need it i just wanted it so i got it that's the thing it was just like an impulse and that's often the thing that stands in the way of our self-control and what's so curious is that impulses they play on our disordered desires that take control of the will so we lose the capacity to decide we like yield it whereas the one who lives self-controlled they're not driven by their impulses and by and large, this comes to a head when we, when we think about like, the consumption of illicit material, like pornography. Because consuming pornography, it is rooted in self-control. Specifically, in, in this area, I, I hear things like, I just can't help it. Like, I get to the point where I, I, like, I don't want to do it, but I just can't help it, I end up doing it again. But to say I can't help it, it avoids responsibility. And I'm not diminishing the challenge that it is. I'm I'm just saying that it avoids responsibility because you can help it. You may just need help to help it. And the capacity to accomplish the good for which you've set out, it comes by way of training. And this isn't something that you do in isolation. No, you do this in community. And Peter goes on. He says that that to that self-control, add perseverance. The idea here is of stick-to-itiveness over the long haul. So self-control can uh, come to bear on short-term circumstances and it can come to bear on long-term circumstances, what we could call perseverance. And to that we're to then add godliness. And today in 2021, godliness can sound kind of like a, like an archaic, an old term where not many of us are like texting our friends about godliness, but this is a really significant framework that Peter's inviting us to add. This is about worshipful concentration on God. That is, as we consider God, we then, who. who, by the way, the eternal community of love, that as we consider, as we set our mind with worshipful concentration on God, we we then would be compelled to move toward one another, which is the natural progression. Peter says it this way, verse 7, into godliness and mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge. There it is again of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that knowledge there, it's this epigenosis. So it's like adding, it's this true knowledge. It's like the cumulative weight of this progress. It When it goes unhindered, un- like when it's not hindered, man. There's a true knowledge of Jesus. So on top of all of that, we are called to add love. And this is not a matter of like, okay, I possess all these things, now I'm done. No, it's as though we get Jesus' life and we make every effort to keep putting on Jesus' life so we keep getting Jesus' life. In every progressive move, it strengthens and affirms the former. Because the working assumption of the New Testament and of Jesus himself is that we will steadily grow into people of love. That is, we'll grow more and more into the type of people for whom the natural byproduct of our life is love. So, is formation possible? Like, can you change? Absolutely. But just because change is possible does not mean that it is inevitable. It's not as though you say you follow Jesus and change, boom, naturally happens. Because we've just seen, like, no, you know, it, it takes effort. In fact, every effort, every available effort is called upon. And sometimes we have this idea that... Um, we've tried, but God hasn't? Like, we've tried to, to be changed, and yet God must not be pulling his weight? Like, we will pray for the miraculous, but we won't be willing to set an alarm and get up and like, put ourselves before the love of God to receive it and live out of it. You see, this is both God working in and through us and us working in and with God. It's not an either or, it is a both and. So formation is possible, but it's not inevitable. We have to show up because I know of no silver bullet for formation. With with maybe the exception of suffering, which accelerates character formation, and I don't I don't know about you, but I don't want to like willingly sign up for suffering. And yet, what I do know, and I think about this past year, is that my character has been revealed. Like, what's true of me has been revealed. And some of it has been really hard to see. And the gift is that it's been revealed. And I can attend to it. Or I can ignore it. And the same choice is, is yours. yours. As God reveals who you are, like the, the, the areas of your life that stand in opposition to God, like as he reveals those to you, you can either ignore them or attend to them with the power of the Spirit. It's available to you. The invitation is ready. The invitation is right here. You have no more excuses. And <laughs> we can do this together. And we'll talk about how we do this together this next week, but no silver bullet. We must choose to make every effort to order our life around the training and the way of Jesus. And of course, this will come with challenges along the way. There's no such thing as an easy life, but Jesus does offer an easy yoke. He offers an easy and gentle way. Jesus' agenda, like, yes, Jesus has an agenda for your life. And it is for you to be more like him, to be a person marked by love. We're called to realize like, what is real about Jesus. We're, we are like, let me, let me say this more clearly. We are called to realize what is real about Jesus. And maybe that sounds far-fetched. Just go read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's not like pie-in-the-sky dreams. It's Jesus with sincerity and reality just saying, this is what it looks like to step into life with me because we are like him in a real sense. We are new. The old is gone. The new has come. We have just not been made fully like him yet. We are like him in a real sense. We're just not like him in a realized sense yet. For that and the renewal that awaits, I invite you to come back this next week For now, to end, I just want to invite you, um, wherever you are, uh, just to stand with me. I'm already standing, so (laughs) stand with me. Um, And and I want to ask us one question. I want you, rather, to ask yourself a question. Um, And there's no, like, shame or condemnation sprinkled in this. This isn't trying to be manipulative or anything like that. Does you and the Lord, or you and a friend and the Lord, like trying to discern this? But in the security of the Father's love, I just invite you to ask this question about who am I becoming? If you're 30, think about what you're like when you're 50. If you're 50, when you're 70, who are you becoming? Think about your life. If it's helpful, do like a little habit audit. Take out a piece of paper, write down your morning routine. After you've written down your morning routine, write out what your week looks like. You write out what your week looks like, right? What your weekend looks like. And then start to make these little connections between the things you do and how you are. Who you're becoming. And so I want to give you space to do this now. So I'm going to pray, and then following this, as we continue in worship through song, I would just invite you to to think about that. Throughout the rest of the day, think about that. So let's pray. Father, would you meet us now with your love, with your grace, and your peace? Would you remind us of what's true of us in you because of you, Jesus? Help us to see that change is possible because of you, that you desire change in our life and you desire to do that with us. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Help us to become increasingly more and more people marked by love.